everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. Today we will be, I think, rounding off the series here on how to start off on the road to financial freedom with part four. And what we're going to look at today is what you can do to kick off your adult life in a way that is financially advantageous and starts helping you really build wealth, not just saving up a little bit of money, which is still some wealth, obviously, but really start to get into the habits that will help you and also just do some one-off things to start that will help you in the long run with building wealth in a way that makes sense for a young person today. And before I get too far ahead, I just want to remind you that you, if you're listening on conversationforgeneration.com, you can go and subscribe on iTunes. I'm working on getting into Spotify as well. I uh, got a little, I went to do it last night. There was a little issue, but hopefully that'll be happening soon. You can go to facebook.com slash conversation our generation or Twitter at con of our gen in order to find uh, more content, get in on the discussion and, you know, be able to have a back and forth on social media and also share this with friends that way. I think it's a great way that if you like what I'm doing, that's a great place to go and share it. And also go to conversation our generation.com. There's a sign up for the email list at the bottom of this post. There's, I think a pop-up still that goes through, uh, you can go there and Sign up for the email list to be the first to get some access to some of the longer form content that I'm going to be putting together. And I think the first one will be the way, the truth, and the life, and talking about what I talked about over Christmas time on in more 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 in depth in sort of like a book format, and then having some other stuff to go with that. So definitely check that out, and you know find me anywhere if you have. Places that you want me to be and I don't know about them, definitely let me know that as well. And so now let's go ahead and hop into the quote of the week. And actually before we do, I do want to mention this episode might be a little shorter than normal. I uh, woke up a couple minutes late because I had prepped a lot more for this podcast than I normally do. And so I had all my show notes, all the social stuff ready to go and everything just all set. And then... This morning my computer was dead, so I had to charge it <laughs> this morning, and that, so that is why this will be a little bit shorter because I am in a bit of a time crunch, but I think I can get through all of this and still be fine, so just letting you know that, and so let's go ahead and hop into the quote of the week now. <clears throat> this one comes from Patrick Henry, who, and it's no, not give me liberty or give me death, but now, now that I say that, I'm 99% sure he's the one who said that, or at least is attributed with it. But this is a quote, another quote from him saying, Unite liberality with a just frugality. Always reserve something for the hand of charity, and never let your door be closed to the voice of suffering humanity. And I think this is really the perfect way, in the classical sense, with a Christian influence as well, to live your life. Um, if you look at Aristotle's ethics, which I've talked about in the past, he talks about how being liberal with your money, not liberal parties or anything like that, that's not what this work means in this sense, is to be generous but not over, not prodigal, not wasteful, I guess you could say, right? You entertain people and have friends over, but you don't throw great Gatsby parties right? It's, it's a sense of finding the, don't be, 
you know, kind of a miser or a Scrooge kind of person, right? You don't want to be that guy, but you also don't want to be, you know, the prodigal son in the Bible or, you know, one of these famous people who has 25 minutes of fame and makes millions and millions of dollars and then ends up, you know, broke on their ass. You don't want to be that person either. You want to be someone who knows where they are financially and is able to be generous, right? So he talks about a just frugality. So be frugal when it's right to be frugal. Don't you know, go giving away everything that you have and then not being able to provide for your family. That's not right. But you should, like he says, reserve something for the hand of charity and never let your door be closed, closed to the voice of suffering humanity. So if you're good with your money, generous with your friends and your and you're frugal in the right ways, right, then you're able to offer something up to charity and to those who are truly suffering. And I think this is pretty close. The funny thing is, this is really what my mentality has been, is to, you know, feel free to have fun, have my friends over, you know, make food for them, tell them, you know, bring your own beer. I got some whiskey here that I've stocked up, but... If you're not drinking whiskey or rum, I got a bunch of stuff that's just been that's come to my house that anyone can have access to when they come to party. That's 21, of course. And you know, if you want something else, bring it. Feel free, and that's fine by me. And so that's kind of that. You know, have that liberality with a bit of frugality, and then I try to you know still give to charity and be someone that's. <clears throat> there for, you know, when there's an emergency, having a little bit of extra money to be able to chip in, you know, if, I mean, the thing is, if you look at something like that happens in Nashville, if everyone in America that's not in Nashville gives a dollar or in that area, then that's, you know, there's 327 million people, there's probably, you know, I don't know how many people were affected, maybe it's a couple million, let's say it's $325 million, then that gets funneled straight to the efforts there. Well, that's great. You know, that's a if everyone just saves a dollar back for those kinds of events, I'm sure that you could afford to do that. You know, the several times a month, let's say it's three to five times a month that something catastrophic like that happens here in America, and we all just save three to five dollars a month to chip in and help those people. I think that that would be a great solution, even, right? If you just have a little bit held back to help out. So as you are getting started off on this road as a young person, or if you're someone who's not young anymore and still haven't figured out your finances or still don't offer that up in charity, I do urge you to look into it. Not that it's, I mean, I, like I said, I have a just frugality in order to keep a roof over the head and food, you know, I mean, sure, we could cut out some of the restaurants and bars and stuff that we do in order to save more money. Yeah, that's true. We probably could do better on the, some of those things, but you know, I do still try to do what I can for charity's sake and, you know, helping people out too on when you see you know, especially in the winter months and I work downtown and you see people out in the cold, you know, I'm like they're sitting near a Starbucks and it's like, "Here, here's a few bucks to get some warm coffee and something to eat kind of thing like that's to me where 
we can start to fill some of the gaps and help people out. You know, I, I think that that's really a great, I think that this is a great way to look at how you should be financially as an adult. And it also kind of talks about how your finances tie into your ethics as well. So I think that if everyone here in America was able to unite liberal liberality with a just frugality, always reserve something for the hand of charity, and never let your door be closed to the voice of suffering humanity, I think that that would be a tremendous advantage for, I mean, just all of all of us. And so hopefully we can come together and find a way to be more like that, each one of us. <clears throat> and so let's go ahead and hop into the main topic of the day because I'd like to talk about how you start building wealth because that's really what you want to start doing as you get into your adulthood is you're going to be building wealth, saving for retirement, those kinds of things. And I actually don't know if I wrote down <laughs> anything about saving for retirement. So, you know, maybe this isn't the last installment. Maybe we'll go through something that's, I don't know. I think that this is, I think this is enough. So we'll talk about it today. So the first thing, so basically what I want to look at is how do you save yourself from losing out on a lot of money that people, young people today do lose out on because they use it irresponsibly or whatever reason. And the first thing I think of that people do is they rent way too long. And so if you can buy a house ASAP, that is one of the best things you can do. And that is, again, as soon as possible, not now. Don't just go out and buy one just to buy one, but as soon as possible. So if you're looking, and I think this is something that you have to be responsible with, but if you're looking around and you say, okay, I'm going to buy a house and I'd like to, you know, what I, I have saved up, hopefully, since high school, like we've been talking about, I've been saving and putting money away in some sort of mutual fund and, you know, paying not paying credit for building up credit debt, I guess I should say. <clears throat> and instead, I may have used my credit card a little bit to build some credit. So I have a decent line there. I've paid some bills, those kinds of things. But I've also been saving a couple hundred bucks a month for the last six years. So that's right. Oh, man. Now I'm having trouble doing how many months that is in my head. Let's say you're doing 200 bucks a month for six years. That's 72 months times six would be, uh, that'd be 14 grand, right? A little over $14,000 that you've actually put into the mutual fund. If it's gained any, you know, any interest, then heck, you might have fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in there, depending on what the market's been like. And so, I mean, if it was the market that I was, I've been saving in for the last, you know, five years, then yeah, it could be twenty grand in there almost because of how well it's been doing year over year. And so now you're graduating college or you're 22 and you've been working in a job for a couple of years and you know, you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, I can go pay $1,000 a month in rent for a you know, two-bedroom apartment with a buddy and split that so I pay 500 bucks a month and then that $6,000 a year that I throw into the wind to just have a roof over my head or 
You know, I could buy a house and pay eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars a month in my total mortgage payment, you know, which includes interest, uh, principal, mortgage, uh, insurance, um, and taxes, you know, all four of those things. And you're paying that each month, but you're actually accruing equity. You are, you have. I think a better living style than if you're in an apartment, especially if you're still in a nice area that's not necessarily nice, nice, but like an area that a young person would like to be in around trendy stuff, good restaurants, bars, whatever it is that you are interested in. You know, if you're a big sports fan, maybe even somewhere that's easy to get to, you know, the stadium. Cause I know that especially not here in the Midwest where everything's downtown, but a lot of places, you know, those things are out a ways, you know, and so in a lot of other cities so you can maybe live in those areas and so if you buy that house then you start to gain equity which instead of like I said six thousand dollars a year just going to someone else to pay off their building you're putting some money to start to paying off your building but the other thing is if you look at the fact that plenty of people rent for 10 years let's say well 10 years that's a third of a 30-year mortgage. That's, you know, two-thirds of a 15-year mortgage. So you could be a third or halfway on to actually owning your house outright if you... And so it just amazes me that people choose to rent till they're 30, 32 years old. You know, I would just urge people to get away from that as soon as possible. Because here's the other thing. I talked about you know, you're getting in an apartment for a thousand dollars a month and you're splitting splitting it with a roommate and it's five hundred bucks a month. Well, you can ha bring on a roommate and just, you know, split bills, quote unquote, with them, and then they end up paying for, you know, a few hundred bucks a month to you as landlord. Now I don't know how this works out tax wise, but my thing is is if they're just, you know, paying me back for paying the gas and paying the water bill and electricity and all that stuff, then, you know, they're just paying me a few hundred dollars to pay those, you know, to, for that, because we made an arrangement that they pay the bills. You know, that's not rent income, it's them paying me back. I don't know. I don't know how that works out. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, definitely there's ways that you can do things like that. People for centuries have rented out rooms. And if you have a friend that or acquaintance that you don't mind living with and you have a I mean there's very rarely a one bedroom house so you're probably gonna have an extra bedroom you might you may need to share a bathroom but whatever you, you know you'd be doing that in an apartment probably too <clears throat> and so bring on a roommate or two depending on how big your house is I have a friend who has two roommates that are living with him and you know I, I don't even know what his mortgage is but he told me what he paid for the house and it's can't be crazy you know he's not too far from me and he has two roommates helping him basically pay his mortgage so that's a great way to reduce the monthly cost and still be getting that equity because you saved up over time right if you're if you have a thousand dollar mortgage and you're only paying five hundred dollars a month towards it because someone else is paying the other half then you're coming out so far ahead of anyone your age who's renting <laughs> it's crazy you have someone paying half of your mortgage payment for whatever period of time that is. That's insane. I mean, 
just think if you lived with that person for three, four, five years, they could have, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could basically save thousands of dollars off your rent or I mean off your mortgage. Definitely look into that kind of thing. The other thing is to have options when you move. So when you are buying the house, make sure that it is, you know, something that you can sell in five to 10 years, because my guess is if you're buying something just when you're starting, it is kind of a starter home. You know, my house, we could have a kid here. It would be tight to have a kid here to start, but we could not have two kids here in this house. That would be chaos, <clears throat> excuse me, especially with the dog. But I think kid and dog would be very, would be very uh, tight, possibly a little uncomfortable, not going to lie. And so buying a house um, that you can rent out, you know, if you're a young person, the people who are renting generally are young people. So if you buy the house and it's in an area that people want to live because it's near a local college or it's by the bar scene or whatever it is, you know, those kinds of locations are, that's more what the renters are looking for. So definitely think about all those things. And I think I've talked more about buying houses in other episodes, but this will be something that I expand a little bit more on, on how I found my house and what I looked for um, when I was doing it and when I break, break this out into a little bit more in the future. The next thing is get married early. <laughs> and that doesn't mean to rush, but the fact of the matter is that people who get married early, you start combining your finances, you plan together, you don't have, I mean, you know, it's just a lot better financially, you know, you don't have to worry about roommates and stuff like that, you have, theoretically, when you're young, you know, probably two incomes going towards it then, maybe starting to figure out how, you know, finances work out together before you have kids, you're not rushing to do that, you're not rushing anything else, because if you graduated college or were 22, bought a house and met somebody and were dating and quickly got married, then, you know, and you're in your early 20s, then you don't have to rush on a lot of the things that people feel they need to rush on. And, you know, that's not to say that you can just wait around 15 years and then have kids, <laughs> but, I mean, you can, I guess, but that's not what I'm talking about. But I think that the people, I mean, studies show that married people are wealthier than single people, first of all. And it makes sense because here's the thing is you're sharing all the expenses. So when you look at, you know, bringing on the roommate and you're sharing the mortgage and maybe the gas and water payments or something like that, great. But then you have separate all these other things. I mean, I remember when my wife moved out with her friends, like they had like two sets of silverware. They had like two thises and two thats. And it's just like, why is all this extra stuff in this one house? And it's because they all, you know, someone's mom bought them a toaster and then someone's mom bought a toaster and handed them a hand-me-down toaster, you know, whatever it is, you know, someone's aunt gave them a panini maker, but they, one of the girls had already bought one because they really wanted to make paninis. I don't know, like just things like that. And so when you get married early, you kind of condense all that. <laughs> and not to mention, it does help you out to kind of get some of those things to start off your life. I mean, we definitely got many uh, gifts that help with just things that you would have to buy otherwise. Now, obviously, paying for the wedding was expensive. Um, so the other thing is, like I said, don't rush. Don't just get married for sake of getting married. 
get married because it's the right person, but be on the lookout for that to start. Once you're in college, if you're dating, then you should be looking for the person that you can marry. And I think that it's, I'm not going to, you know, put people down, but I think it's silly to spend all your 20s just, you know, doing whatever and being single and not looking for that because I don't think that's a fulfilling way to go. I think that that's something that's, you know, from everything I've seen has caused a lot of problems and trauma for people almost. And so get married early because it's much better than not being married. I'll tell you that. And it has its ups and downs, sure, I believe it, but at the same time, I I just don't know. I mean, plenty of old married men will joke about it and old married women, but the funny thing is, you know, they're generally happier as well. And so just get married early because it just makes sense financially, but really on the real reason is, and that's why, I guess that's why I mentioned in this podcast, because it makes sense financially. But the real reason is, is because it's just good for you to get married early and just start building your life with someone. Because you're going to make better life decisions when you have someone there to check you and, you know, help you not be such an idiot. And if you're me, that really helps. <laughs> because there's times where I can be quite an idiot. The next thing here is just a good habit <clears throat> to live by and that's to run numbers on purchases especially on big purchases you know don't worry about this little thing here or there or whatever fine but you know run numbers if you're going on a big grocery shop you know hey pasta's on sale it's i'd save like two bucks or a buck per box or whatever so i'm going to buy a couple extras even though it's more money now when it's three dollars in the future and not two dollars today right, next week when I'm out of pasta because I only bought one box, you know, then I have to come back and buy another one for a dollar more, and that doesn't make sense. So if you see things that just don't go bad, this kind of goes back to some of the prepping that I like to do. If you, if there's things that don't really go bad, canned goods, you know, pastas, rices that you buy in general, that, you know, even like meat really doesn't go bad very quickly if you just throw it in the freezer. I mean, there's some meat that I think I probably ought to use soon in my freezer just for sake of, you know, getting it out there. But I think that if you can run the numbers on your purchases and make sure that you're saving money when you can or that if you're making a big purchase, this is where it comes down to it really is, if you're making a big purchase, really knowing what the best options are there and making sure that you're doing that right, that if it's you know, payments that you're making, that it makes sense, if preferably you're able to pay cash, right? And so running those numbers to make sure that you're getting the best value, the best bang for your buck on whatever it is, is important. And if you're not great at math, hopefully you marry someone who is. If you and your spouse are not great at math or whoever you're living with, um, you know, if it's a roommate or whatever and you're thinking about it, having them check your math is fine. But if not, take it to your parents, take it to your uncle or your aunt who, you know, is a great finance person or a great math person and see how it goes. <clears throat> you can always use those resources to check yourself before you wreck yourself, to quote. Uh, oh, shoot. I forget who it is now. Ice Cube? Shoot, that's embarrassing. Well, 
someone look that up and tell me. <laughs> Maybe I'll look it up after the show. Because <laughs> now it's driving me nuts. But the other thing now is you learn to do things for yourself. And this one is an is a fun one, actually. So projects around the house, things on your car, you know, the maintenance things that you need to do. As much of that as you can do yourself saves you a ton of money in the long run. And when you save money, then you can put it towards wealth building activities. And you start accruing this wealth of knowledge as well. Like if you can learn how to, I mean, just imagine if you had to call someone to change your light bulb every time you needed a light bulb changed and they had to come over and you had to pay someone $20 to do that. I mean, light bulbs are, you know, pennies on, you know, they're less than a dollar a bulb or a dollar a bulb or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't bought light bulbs for a month and I don't remember what I paid for them, but they're not expensive at all. And so, I mean, for how long they last, I mean, I think they last months. So if you're not just leaving your lights on 24 seven. So if you had to pay someone all the time to do that, you'd be like, this is crazy. This is insane. But then we go and do that for all sorts of other things. I mean, I remember when my dad went to get his brakes changed on his car when I was even in, I think I was in high school. He was like, I'm not paying five or $600. He's like, I know the brake pads aren't that much. So he went and he bought brake pads. He bought them. It was like a hundred some odd bucks to buy them. And then he and his neighbor, you know, my dad bought a case of beer and had his neighbor, his neighbor come out and help him because he had a good jack and, <clears throat> and some of the tools that were needed that my dad didn't have at the time and was able to just do that. And now he and I know how to change brakes. I learned how to do it that day as well because we did my truck's brakes. <laughs> and so it was just a Saturday of my dad sitting out having a couple beers and doing that. And then he drank after that, you know, it was a good, pretty chill day. And if you can do those kinds of things, you know, I was able to build my garden beds, save me a lot of money over, you know, going and buying the prefabbed ones. It was much less. And I, you know, was able to customize them to what I needed and everything like that a little bit. And so learning how to do things for yourself. I mean, even my bathroom, my cousin came in and helped me. I did a lot of things myself with the tile and all that. And then the most expensive part of my bathroom was getting, you know, plumbers to come in and hook things up because I didn't know how to do that. And I was not confident that I wasn't going to flood my basement. <laughs> and so, so I did have professionals come in on that because that's something that, you know, if there's like a tile that's kind of weird, you know, you can kind of get over that. But if your basement is a giant pool or a lake, then that's kind of sucks. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, that's really what made a lot of the things that I did there expensive was the plumber. So bringing someone in and having them do it. And so definitely, definitely learn to do as many of those things for yourself as you can. The more and more you can do it over time and just say, hey, I'll try it, the better it is. I mean, I changed out my tail light on my car recently because I watched a YouTube video. It took me three minutes to watch the YouTube video and would have been less if I realized that I didn't need to listen to so much of what the guy was saying and just kind of watch what he did. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then I did it and it took me, you know, 15 minutes because the bolts were being a pain in my butt and there was some weird plastic thing on there that I couldn't get off. So I had to cut it off. <laughs> and so hopefully my tail light doesn't fall out ever, but you know, whatever it worked out. And so learning to do those things saves you money for sure. The last thing here is taking hand-me-downs. So I talked about how getting married early, you get those presents that everyone needs, you know, those starting gifts, you get blenders and 
you know, whatever it is, coffee maker and some of those kitchen things and cutting boards and all those stuff that you need to be able to kind of live on your own. But the other thing that you can do is take hand-me-downs. I went to my grandma's house when I was moving in, and she said, if there's two or more of something in here in the garage, you can have it. You know, she had three shovels, a couple, you know, few, like several hammers. So I got a hammer, I got, you know, extra, you know shovels, I got garden tools, like hose, other garden tools. Um, you know, she had an extra lawnmower. <laughs> I got a lawnmower. I mean, it saved me hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Probably, I mean, I would say it's got to be, like, if I bought all that stuff new, it would have been easily a thousand bucks with the lawnmower, shovels, you know, tool, like just tools are expensive. So if you can get those kinds of things hand me down, then that's so much better because what it does is you start having, because really you don't buy a tool to have a nice tool. It's not, you know, it's the same as like a car. Really, if you buy a used car, it does the same as a new car does. It just gets you around. That's what you need it to do. And the tools are the same way. I'm like, I don't need a, you know, some 2020 shovel that's got a wood handle and a, you know, a steel head on it. I can use one that's from 1992 or whatever this shovel's from and use that. And it works just the same. I just, you know, put my foot on it and dig a hole. It works. And so taking those hand-me-downs saves that 30, 40 bucks for a shovel, whatever it is. I don't know. And allows you to put it towards other things. And so the hand-me-downs are so, so much a key to this piece as well. To be, you know, furniture is expensive as hell. Kitchen stuff is expensive as hell. When you start adding up all of the different things, if you can have hand-me-downs there, you know, if you get a silverware set that who cares if it's mixed match and all that, or if you get, you know, all my cups and glasses and wine glasses that we have are from my parents that they were getting rid of, and I was like, just save these for like an extra month while I'm buying my house, and I'll take them. You know, they were cleaning out their house at the time, and I was like, I'll take that, I'll take that. You know, I have, I'm sitting in a chair with a locker, storage locker, and bookshelf next to me that, you know, I think they gave me. I'm looking around the room. I'm pretty sure everything besides the desk that I have, which was bought from Ikea for fairly cheap, <laughs> was um, was something that was handed down to us <clears throat> or that I salvaged from my job at the retail store <laughs> that was being thrown out. There was There is one case in here <laughs> that is like that. That's for sure. So take those hand-me-downs and that's just also part of don't spend money you don't need to spend basically as well so hopefully those are some tactics that get you on the right mindset um, I'll hopefully have some more ideas for you by the time I start building this out into a fuller uh, package in fact I'm thinking of like several things now but we are at time and I'm cutting it close because I have a morning call that I need to get on here soon and so, definitely, these are just tactics. So if you have other tactics, you know, that you can think of to add to your toolkit, because do it. Because basically the goal here is to reduce the number of sunk costs in your life. That rent that you're paying for your apartment, right? Buying two of one thing only to have to throw one away when you get married, <laughs> you know? 
those kinds of things are what you can remove from your life and have not have to have those costs, you know. And so, <clears throat> if by being responsible and frugal, then you can start off on the road to financial freedom. And hopefully, if you do those things right in high school and college, and you graduate and you have the cash on hand to prove that you're a financially sound young person, then you're able to, you know, get that right start and buy the house, you know, look appealing to the person, a person of the opposite sex for sure, and get married. And obviously by that point, you have the ability to start learning things, get smart about taking hand-me-downs and running the numbers and all that stuff. But the hope here is that by some of these tactics and more that we'll discuss in depth and when I build this out, are knowing that the goal is to reduce those sunk costs and be able to build wealth. And so that's the goal. That's what you're working towards. And if this has been helpful, please share this with young people, with adults who have young people in their lives or in their houses, preferably. And, you know, definitely share this and get this out there because I think this is an important thing. And if you are just now listening to this, you missed out on parts one through three, go back and listen to them because I think they're very, very helpful on getting to this point. So thank you for listening to another episode of the Conversation for Our Generation. Let's get the dialogue going and I'll talk to you next week.